Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. When some people open the book of Revelation, they assume it's a revelation of end-time events, or a revelation of prophecy, or a revelation of some very weird beast. But it's not. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's the self-revelation of Jesus, who appeared in a vision to a man named John, living on an island called Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea around the first or second century. People have made the book of Revelation about a lot of things, but the central purpose and the central focus of the whole book is Jesus. In the opening scenes, John sees a vision of Jesus, a brilliant, shimmering visage, standing in the middle of seven lampstands. And when Jesus begins to speak, he gives John individual messages for seven different churches. These churches appear on a map in a clockwise circle from where John was on Patmos, in an area known today as Turkey and Greece. The first church in the circle is the church of Ephesus. Ephesus means desirable, and it certainly was a desirable place to live. It was a center of trade and one of the greatest seaports of the ancient world. But at the time of the writing of Revelation, Ephesus was not desirable spiritually. It was in deep need of a spiritual victory. Well, hello there, family. What a good church service. Mm. Yeah. So let's just uh, keep it rolling, huh? I've been really looking forward to this sermon series. This is the first one in our Seven Churches of Revelation series. I'm looking forward to it because our theme for this year is follow me. And oftentimes when we hear Jesus call to follow him, we take it individually because we live in an individualistic type of society. We live in a society where the the person, the individual person, is what's most important. But the letter to Revelation was written in what was called a collectivist society. In other words, the group, the community was more important. And I'm not here to have a debate on which culture is better because cultures are just different. There's just different ways of doing things and both have their pluses and minuses. But what I wanted to really spend a little bit of time this year talking to you about is this, that Jesus' call to follow me is both individual and collective. And so as we're taking a look at the seven churches, we're going to be reminded that a church is not a building, and it's not an individual. A church is a group of people. And so the call to follow me, our theme for this year at Whole Life, we're not just talking about individuals during the sermon, we're talking about us as a collective group, that Jesus calls us to follow him collectively and together. And that's what we're going to be talking about as we go through these seven churches of Revelation. So would you start off by doing something collective with me? And that would be to read 
the Bible passage that I'm going to be preaching on together with me. So here we go. Can you read it with me? All right, let's do this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say there's apostles, but are not. You've discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me and without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. That felt really good. Thank you for doing that with me. Let's pray. Jesus, you spoke to John, and you're speaking to us. So put Ken way off to the side, be front and center, and speak to your church today. Amen. So... Ephesus. This is the church that we start off with. You heard a little bit about it in our intro video. And as the intro video mentioned, it was a very incredibly important city in, in the Roman Empire, in Greece. It had a lot of importance because of its value commercially. But one of the things that you should also know about Ephesus is that they didn't have the greatest of reputations. They had a reputation for having a lot of false teachers, a lot of people who were kind of spreading eh, crazy kind of ideas, if you will. And this is not just within the Christian community, it was within the pagan community as well. In fact, if you said you were from Ephesus, people might put a little bit of a label on you. They might think, this is not a trustworthy person. This is somebody who might be trying to lie to me. This might be somebody who's trying to take advantage of me. Amongst the many things that uh, was a part of Ephesian life was a worship of the Roman pantheon of gods. There were a lot of them. And if you went to the ruins of Ephesus today and were to walk around that, just after first service, I was talking to somebody who had actually been there this summer. And they said, we saw that picture that you put up. And this is the picture. Does, does anybody know which Roman uh, god, Greek goddess this is? Nike. Yeah, Nike. For those of you who weren't aware, the brand did not precede this goddess, okay? <laughs> Nike got their name from this particular goddess, and she was the goddess of victory. So whenever somebody won, this goddess would bring them the, the laurels, the wreath that they'd put around their head that symbolized victory. You can see it in her hand behind me that she's holding that wreath. And uh, extra credit, if you can figure out where Nike got their swoosh from, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later, but uh, it's actually in that picture where they got their uh, swoosh from, if you pay close attention to it. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, uh, maybe, all right, all right. So. We'll come, so this is one of many deities, but the most important deity to the Ephesians was Artemis. Artemis was their patron god, goddess. 
And her worship was incredibly important to them. In fact, it got Paul in a little bit of trouble when it looked like he was going to start impacting the revenue that was coming into the city because of introducing Jesus Christ to that city. And and they got pretty upset with him. You can find that in Acts chapter 19 and 20, where Paul spent some time there. Speaking of Christians that spent time in Ephesus, Paul spent time there. And according to church tradition, Mary, the mother of Jesus, actually lived in Ephesus, and is actually, her tomb is in Ephesus, as is John the Beloved, John the Disciple. He lived in Ephesus as well. And so Ephesus has a lot of um, historical importance, both in the pagan world and within the Christian world. And so it's not a surprise that the first message from Jesus goes to the Christian church found in the city of Ephesus. And so what I'd like to do is take this message apart for you, because one of the things about Revelation is that it's full of symbols. The early Christians would take pagan symbols and they'd repurpose them. They would, they would know, and by, by using this pagan symbol, they were able to kind of slip their messages in without being too obvious, right? And so we're going to kind of decode some of this. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to give you some of the background. I'm going to let you know when there's more than one way to look at something. So there's some of these passages, you can see it this way or you can see it that way. And so your job is to decide, what do you think the Spirit's saying? What do you think the Spirit's saying? So let's go ahead and start this off. This letter is to the angel in the church of Ephesus. Angels are messengers. And what I want you to think about is kind of this really neat idea that this letter is not just simply for the Ephesian church, but it's for us today too. Isn't it cool to think that whole life has an angel that guides and is there that's sent by God to guide us and to look over us, to protect us? to lead this church the way that Jesus wants to. And so Jesus sends a message through his messenger to his messenger, the angel, to share with this church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. As we go through each one of these seven churches, you're going to find that Jesus describes himself differently to each one of the churches. Does that mean it's possible for each one of us to see Jesus a little bit differently? Or that Jesus needs us to understand him a certain way just for us? You know, sometimes we'd want to make Jesus just this one-dimensional figure, but Jesus isn't. He's multi-dimensional. And to each person, he appears in the way that person, that church, needs to see him. So how does this church need to see Jesus? Well, start off with those seven stars in his hand. This would have actually really rung a bell for people in the Roman Empire. Why? Because Roman emperors like to say not only did they control life here on earth— but they also were in control of planets and stars. And if you look at this coin with a Roman emperor on it, you'll see that this Roman emperor has seven stars around him. So think about this. This message comes to Ephesus. They're using, they're a, they're a commercial place. They see all kinds of coins coming through. They probably would have seen a coin like this. And they would have been very familiar with the idea that this, this Roman empire, the emperor is taking seven stars and putting it around. So what's the little subtle thing? And I love, Jesus has this little sense of humor. Jesus says, oh yeah, you think you hold the seven stars? Guess who really does? Guess who really is? Guess who's really in charge? Because that's, um, I got to tell you, this isn't my favorite thing. I'm left-handed, so it really kind of irritates me a little in the Bible when the right hand is made to be better. (laughs) But it is biblical, so I have to go with it, okay? So 
in the Bible, when the right hand is, is the hand of power and control. And so what Jesus says is that he's got control of these seven messengers, the seven, because in Revelation 1, those stars are, are the angels, that Jesus is in control of his church. He has power. And that's actually a really welcome message, isn't it? Doesn't it make you feel better to know that Jesus has control over your life? That he's able to control things and you don't have to worry because he's in control? That you're in the palm of his hand and he's taking care of you? But what's beautiful about this is Jesus doesn't just tell Ephesus, hey, I'm in control. Jesus also says, I'm walking among the seven gold lampstands. Remember those lampstands in Revelation 1, we find out they're the seven churches. So Jesus doesn't just say, I'm powerful. Jesus says, I'm intimate. I'm there with you. I'm walking. In. Just, just take a moment and look down the aisles of this church and think about what it would mean to think that Jesus is walking down these aisles. He's walking around you that he can overhear what you're whispering to the person next to you. It means that Jesus is intimate and he's present and he knows what's happening. Jesus isn't distant and removed from his church. He's right there with them. And so when he sends these messages, when he talks to Ephesus, he's not talking to somebody who doesn't know what's going on. He's talking to somebody who's intimately familiar what's happening in his church in Ephesus. So we have this beautiful picture that Jesus describes himself as the person in control, but also the person that's intimately involved with their lives and knows what's going on. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I love the way Jesus portrays himself to the city of Ephesus. And it may have been important to them because they may have felt a little bit out of control because we're going to find out that they were suffering. Look at the last part of this verse. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Somebody who's suffering wants to know that Jesus is in control because often when you're suffering, it feels like Jesus isn't in control. And somebody who's suffering wants to know that Jesus is there with you in your suffering, not far removed from it. So Jesus paints a picture that the Ephesian church needs to hear. They're hurting, they're suffering, they're going through some difficult times and they need to know that he's in control and he's there with them in what they're going through. And so Jesus starts off this next section by telling them what he's really proud of them. He says, you work hard and you have patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. You discovered that they're liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Jesus is so encouraging this church. He goes, I know you are giving your best to me. You're working hard. You're doing your best. You're giving what you have. And I know that you don't put up with bad theology. I know you don't put up with people who are lying, with bad doctrine. I know you care about the truth and you study to understand what is true and what is right and what is good theology. Can I suggest to you that it really, really, really matters what you think doctrinally and what you think theologically. Truth matters. We should study to understand. And that's, he commends the Ephesian church for doing that. And we should too. We should want to know what God's will is and what he wants us to do. Why? Because God wants to give us the best life possible. And he wants us to make the world the best place that it can be. And the way we do that is by listening to the person who created this world, who knows it intimately and knows what to do. And so he commends them for actually being 
very serious about this. I can tell you as a pastor, one of the things that absolutely drives me the most nuts is when I have a church member come to me with a theology that I know is taking them away from Jesus. An issue that pushes them off to the side, that takes their eyes off of Jesus and is a red herring. And there's, there's some of those doctrines that they look really nice. I mean, they're, they're, it seems very biblical, and yet I can see them being pushed away from Jesus by it. And I've come to learn over the years that I don't really try to sugarcoat it anymore. I don't care who the pastor is or the person, the, the celebrity preacher is that wants to say something. I'm going to say that's bad doctrine. The person who's giving it may be a good person. I'm not judging who they are as a person necessarily. Although sometimes I'll get to a place where I said enough has come out. I don't think this person's the right person to be listening to. I don't know what their motives are, but they don't seem very good. So how can we know that good doctrine? Well, it kind of comes to this next little part. Jesus says, good for you for caring about good doctrine, for caring about the truth. But here's the problem. You don't love me or each other like you did at first. Some translations actually say you've lost your first love. The New Living Translation here kind of takes on an interpretation because there's two different ways to interpret you've lost your first love. They take on one of those ways of interpreting, which is you don't love me or each other like you used to. The other way to interpret losing your first love is you have forgotten what is first and foremost, the first love. What is the most important kind of love? And Jesus tells us what the most important love, love for God, love for others. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so either way you want to take this, the problem with for the Ephesians is that they become obsessed with doctrinal purity, but they had forgotten that doctrinal purity is nothing without love. You can be right, and without love, you will be wrong. Paul puts it that way in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Look at all the good things on the screen. These are all good things. Sacrificing yourself, speaking in tongues, blah, blah, blah. But Paul says, do all those good things on that screen that's behind me. But if you don't have love, you've gained nothing. And the problem for the Ephesians is that while they were obsessed with doctrinal purity, they'd, they'd forgotten that, that, it, that there isn't love here and truth here. Sometimes we want to do that, right? We want to say, well, there's truth and then there's love. And we don't want to be too mamby-pamby over here with the love stuff, so we've got to go ahead and uphold the truth. Friends, if the truth doesn't have love, it's not the truth. You don't, they're not two separate things. They're one thing. The truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is love and he's truth. Those two go together. And when you try to separate one from the other, you are missing out on God's blessings. If you just go ahead and say, well, I'm just going to be a nice person, but I don't care about truth. That's a problem. You know, there's a reason why there are stoplights and stop signs on the road, because it's chaos when there are no rules. There's a, rules are loving things when they're applied correctly. But when they just become about the rule rather than the love that flows through it, then we miss out. You following me, family? So Paul, or when Jesus is speaking to his church in Ephesus, he wants to let them know, look, you've, you're doing some great stuff over here, but the problem is, is that you've lost that love. And when you lose that, you're not, you're not on track. 
Now, I have to say, Jesus was kind of harsh with the church in Ephesus. Out of all the seven churches, he's the harshest with Ephesus and with Laodicea that is at the end. We'll talk a little bit more about why that might be. But he's the, he kind of gives the biggest complaint about their, their church and about the Laodicean church. And so I think that Jesus kind of like, I know this might kind of wound you a little, so let me say something nice to kind of tie that off after I say, you've lost your first love, but this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Who are the Nicolaitans and what are their evil deeds? Stick around because we're going to talk about the church in Pergamum that also had a problem with the Nicolaitans. I'm going to get into them at that point. I don't have time today to get in. Let's just say they weren't good deeds and good for the Ephesians for not putting up with it. Okay, fair enough. And we'll move on. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Let us understand that Jesus speaks to us through his Spirit, and we need to be listening. The ears of our heart need to hear the Spirit when the Spirit talks to us. It's not enough for you to come and listen to what Ken has to say. You need to hear what Jesus has to say. You need to be able to filter what Ken has to say with what Jesus is saying and what the Bible has to say. I don't want you to trust me so much that you just take my word for it. I want you to study it for yourself. So you need to listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church, us together. And see how it says churches? It's an important thing to understand that this message was supposed to be read by all seven. So the church in Ephesus, their message was being read by the other six churches. Jesus wanted all the churches to read each other's messages. Why? because we can always learn from each other and what each other are going through. And Jesus wanted each church to pay attention to the messages of the other churches as well. So to everyone who is victorious, I'll give fruit from the tree of life and the paradise of God. This word victorious is an important one. The word in Greek is nikao. And it it is the root word for the goddess Nike. Remember how I said that in the beginning? By the way, did I mention to you guys that we're, uh, there's a secret word every week? Ah, there's a secret word every week. If you keep track of the seven words at the end of this series, you're going to get to go to our Whole Life website, enter the seven words to prove that you're paying attention. <laughs> and we're going to have a really cool gift that relates to the seven churches that we're going to give you. So pay attention to what the seven words are. Secret word this week, Nike. Nike means victory, but it means victory in the face of adversity. It means pushing through. It means perseverance in victory. And so this is where Nike got their, their name from, their logo. They like the idea of victory. They like that it was a goddess. They like the little swoosh, which comes from the wings. The wings, if you think about angel wings, they make that kind of swoosh. And so that's where they got their name from. By the way, little... Uh, Completely irrelevant fact. Nike paid $35 for their logo. Just had to put it out there. They, uh, they paid a college student to design it. $35, one of the most iconic logos in history. Anyway, side note. As somebody who worked in public relations, I can't let it go. All right. But remember how we talk about symbols. I want you to think about victory. Nike handed a wreath to the victor. And what I want you to know is that every single church, each one of the seven churches is called to victory, all seven. And so for the whole time that we're talking about this, I want you to know that God is calling all of us to be victorious. 
And so I want to go ahead and repurpose a very popular symbol in our time and our culture. It's the reason I wore this shirt today. <laughs> and these shoes. <laughs> when you see a swoosh, I want you to be reminded that God is calling you and this church to victory. So let's repurpose it. Every time you see that little swoosh on, don't, don't think about going and buying the product. Think about living a victorious life because God is calling you to victory. He's calling you to victory. Will you follow him? So how are we victorious? It's been on the screen for a minute. How are we victorious? Revelation uses, and they overcame. This is the same word that was for victory, victorious in the previous verse. Overcame is the same as that victorious word. Same word in Greek. So they were Nike. They're in the KO because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. By the way, the blood of the lamb has nothing to do with what you did, does it? You're not victorious because of what you did. You're victorious because of what Jesus has done. Period, end stop. Now, there's debate amongst theologians about who wrote the book of Revelation. I've told you that. There's a lot of debate. Seventh-day Adventist tradition and belief is that it was John the disciple John. So if that is true, I find it interesting that John begins his gospel with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so we're saved by the blood of Jesus, and we're saved because of Jesus' testimony in our lives. I want you to know that the testimony of Jesus isn't something that happened 2,000 years ago, but something that is happening in your life today. And the biggest witness to this world about Jesus is not simply telling them that Jesus died for them, but showing them what Jesus' death has done in your life and why your life is better. I don't know about you, but my life has been impacted. One of the reasons I follow Jesus is because of the testimony of Jesus in the lives of people that mattered to me. And if I've told myself, if Jesus could do it for them, then Jesus can do it for me. We are saved as Jesus lives out his testimony in our lives. And we are saved as we understand, we're victorious as we understand that we don't love our life more than anything else. That Jesus is what's most important. That even death is not something we fear. Because we have Jesus. By the way, I think honestly, it's, I haven't had the opportunity and I hope not to necessarily be martyred, but there is something that, that makes me feel like sometimes living every day can be harder than making a one-time decision to give up your life. That choosing Jesus over and over and choosing to do what's hard can be difficult. And so when Jesus calls us to lo not love our life Jesus is calling us to do what he said when he said, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for a friend. And Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? Will you lay down your life for the people that are in your community? Will you live in a way that shows me? That's how we're victorious. It's the formula right up there from revelation to revelation. There it is. There's a reward for it. And it's a reward that would have really rung and resonated with the Ephesians. You see, I told you that Jesus loves to take the things that the world takes and twists and retwist them back. So, 
You remember in Genesis, there's a garden, a garden of Eden. And so this, this verse, and when we read it, what we hear is we're saying, we hear Jesus saying, I'm going to give you fruit from the tree of life in the garden of Eden when Eden is restored at the second coming. The Ephesians would have heard that, but they would have heard something else. You see, this, the, the legend of Artemis, the patron god of their city, was that Artemis was born in a grove of trees in a garden just outside of Ephesus, in a place called Artigaia. It was called Paradise. This is where Artemis was born. And so trees were a cultic symbol for Artemis and her followers. So what does Jesus do when he says he's going to give the Ephesians a reward? He says, you know what Artemis was promising? She can't deliver. But you know what? I can. I can deliver I can go ahead and give you the real tree. I can give you the real paradise. I can give you the real everlasting life that Artemis cannot do and has not done. That's me. That's what happens for those who are victorious through me. Isn't that amazing? I love how Jesus speaks to us in our time, in our place, using language that we can understand. So family... My challenge through this series is Jesus isn't just speaking to Ephesus. He's speaking to whole life. So what can we learn from Ephesus? What's Jesus saying to whole life through the message to Ephesus? I'm not here to tell you my opinion on that because I want you to go home and think about it. There's different ways you can do it. You can go home and you can read the book of Ephesians that Paul wrote. As you read the book of Ephesians, how's that mesh in with what you're reading in Revelation chapter 2? You can go read Acts chapter 19 and 20 where Paul is in Ephesus and hear more about them. How does that mesh in with what you've heard today about Revelation chapter 2? And then how will you go ahead and as a family, as a whole life family, say, what's Jesus saying to us? What I will tell you is this. Jesus is calling us to Nike to be victorious. Ooh, good to see you, Pastor Ken. Good to see you. I'm glad we don't have this because I look different when I'm to the side. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. Well, I hope you don't. <laughs> well, I have a question, Pastor. It says, how, how can we, as, as Seventh-day Adventists, we're taught doctrine. Yeah. How do we not fall in love with doctrines, but yet fall in love with Jesus? What a great question. Yeah. How can, um, so let me start off by saying that the Ephesian church was praised for caring about doctrine. So caring about doctrine is not a bad thing. Having a true picture of Jesus is very important. That's what good doctrine does. It gives us a good picture of who God is and what God wants from us. And God is love. So I think the thing that we have to do with doctrine is just always remember that it's always about Jesus and that good doctrine always helps us love others in the world about us better, not worse. And so when, when, when our doctrine is not lining up with the fruits of the Spirit or what we see in 1 Corinthians 13, then we've got some bad doctrine on our hand. Gotcha. Or improperly used doctrine. Improper. How about that? that that's, yes. that's an even better one. Yeah. Because I was brought up all my life in, in the church, and we were taught a 
specific way. Yeah. So let's go ahead and use the Sabbath. Like one of my favorite Seventh-day Adventist doctrines. I love the Sabbath. It's like one of the biggest blessings in my life. But all you have to do is look at the Gospels to see how in Jesus' time, it was being in a, in a harmful way. And Jesus actually had to come and say, hey, no, put the love back in there. The yeah. Sabbath wasn't made. People weren't created to meet the needs of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to meet the needs of the people. Amen. And so it's really possible and very easy to go ahead and take doc, good doctrine and use it without love and not well. And so I, um, I love the doctrines of the Seventh-day I love the things that we teach. I just want to make sure that when I have it, that love is flowing through it. Amen to that. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear the next couple of them, and uh, I did write down Nike. Good. D- d- you, know. you have that written down. Yeah, it's important it written down. because there is a prize for the victor, the Nike at the end. Uh, and I did wear I'm my not, Nikes too. Check them out. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> that must be because you listen to the podcast. Well, I always listen to the podcast. And if you have any other questions, Ken is always Tuesdays, right? Tuesday, Tuesdays. Well, we record it on Tuesdays. You get to hear it on Wednesdays. There you go. So, yeah. So, um, for those of you who don't know or haven't been listening to our podcast, we put a lot of extra information. So, like, this week, I'm going to give you a lot more information behind Nike, the, the, the concept that I was talking about. I'm going to give you a lot more of that. I'm also going to talk to you about the lampstand being removed because there, there was so much, there's just not enough time to fit it into 20, 25 minutes. So check out the podcast. I'll give you all the extras there. Last week, I told, I said, if you want to be a cool kid, wear Nikes to church this Sabbath. So, yeah. so well, I'm not I'm, saying I'm, you're not cool if you're not wearing them. I'm, I'm but. cool, but I'm not a kid. You're, I feel like you are. Well, my wife says I have Peter Pan syndrome. So there you go. All right. Well, we'll let you and your wife talk more about that later. All right. So I want to thank each one of you for being here at Whole Life this week. We are so grateful for your presence here. A church is not a church without people. And so without you, this church doesn't exist. So thank you for being a part of our family. And uh, we are looking forward to next week when we are going to be talking about the Church of Smyrna. So uh, we're not talking about the beach. Don't go to the beach next week. Come down here. We're going to have a great service. um, And I'll look forward to seeing you there. Let's bow our heads. Dear God, we want to thank you for the book of Revelation. And Jesus, we want to thank you for speaking to your church today. You weren't just simply speaking to to a group of people 2,000 years ago. You're speaking to us today. And you have a message for us out of the message that you gave to them. Help us to listen to it. Help us to follow you wherever you lead. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, family. I love you. Go love your world. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, Don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church.
www.church podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening and have a great week.